0: Hey, welcome back to Still Searching Podcasts. This is your host, Josh Trujillo. Thank you guys for tuning in to this podcast. Man, I'm I'm so thankful and just happy that uh we're coming up on a thousand listens and or downloads. And to be honest with you, if you re if you Listen to the first episode of uh, this podcast with Angelina and, and Raul. I didn't know. To be honest, I didn't know anybody was going to listen. I was like, maybe a couple people, a couple of my friends might listen. And, you know, it is what it is. But we're coming up on a thousand. So that's a big deal for me. Um, excited about that. This podcast is actually international, too. That's a crazy part. It's being listened to in Mexico. Thailand, obviously, from the Jeremy Krause episode, which I thought was amazing. Just had a great conversation with Jeremy. So I got listens in Thailand, France, Norway, Belgium, the U.K. Bro, it's crazy. I'm wondering if that's Xavier in Belgium. What's up, Doc? If you're if you're listening, shoot me a message. Let's get you on here. All over the United States, North Carolina, Texas, Arizona, Florida, Utah, and, of course, Cali. Thank you, guys. I mean, the, obviously, the most listens and downloads are coming from California and I can actually see exactly what city you're in, uh, down to the device you're listening on <laughs> down to the app you're using. So that's, what's great about technology is all these cool algorithms. And you can see, you know, all that, all that good data to, you know, obsess about But this. This podcast isn't about that. It's just about expressing myself and getting these stories out. I want to thank you guys. Just please uh, subscribe to this podcast. It really helps the algorithms and the numbers and all that stuff. And it it helps it get noticed and picked up. Uh, So subscribe. Search. Still searching. And it will pop up. And my name will be there. That's how you know it's mean. It's probably the only one with big glasses. Click on it. Subscribe. Leave a review. Rate it. I only want five stars rating. If you think it sucks, just don't rate it. If you think it sucks, just text me or send me a message personally, and then we'll talk about it, but don't do it on online. Just, uh, only if it's good stuff, good feedback, subscribe on, uh, Apple, Spotify. Also, if you would like to help me edit the audio, you can donate, uh, audio credits, um, to this podcast. It'll be in the, in the show notes. Um, if you'd like to support on a monthly basis, a dollar, $5, my dad gives 10 bucks a month. um, you can do that on anchor.fm slash still searching and you can do that. Um, so, yes, today's episode was recorded through the wire. And it's our, we're you know, it, we're, we're getting better. I can do interviews over the phone and they're recorded into the podcast. Um, so this is the first one where I actually don't have anybody in front of me. So it's just a, a conversation over the phone. The audio is pretty good, Um, but something happened and I lost the first 10 minutes of of our talk with our guest today, the Reverend T.C. Moore, one of my favorite dudes. It's an incredible human being, an incredible mind, a great theologian. I lost the first 10 minutes and I'm so bummed about it because it was so good. There was just so much stuff. In just the introduction of TC, and he talks about his story. So the podcast actually picks up, you know, uh, halfway, not halfway, but, you know, mid-conversation. So uh, we're definitely going have to have to have him come back. But there's so much that we cover here. We're, it's a, it's a, This is the Theological Podcast. This is our first proper theology podcast. You're going to hear words and new terms. You're going to learn some stuff, what ecumenical means exegesis, eisegesis. Um, this new popular uh, topic that seems that everybody's talking about is faith deconstruction. Uh, what is it? Why is everyone seem to be talking about it so much? And the takeaway from this podcast is faith seeking understanding. So go into this episode with that in your mind and hope you guys enjoy this episode with TC Moore we Okay, we're back. <laughs> we had a quick technical difficulty, but I fixed it. So, TC, okay. you were just talking about uh, you growing up um, after your mom was diagnosed with several mental illnesses, it sounded like. Yeah. And the trouble that, that you know, re- uh, created for you as a young man.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, during those years... We lived in deep poverty. My my mother's only income was was a disability check which I think was like $800 a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I part of the time I I remember being in public housing, you know, and part of the time being in trailer parks, you know. I, I used to like to say like um I lived in trailer parks when, you know, before Eminem made them cool, you know. Before 8 Mile. <laughs> <laughs> it was not cool when I lived in them. Um And, um, you know, just was exposed to a lot of um, the things that go along with poverty, you know, crime, uh, started stealing, started slanging, started, you know, experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Right. And like I said, I got gang affiliated and then I got gang involved, got initiated um, at 13. And, uh, you know, after that, it was it was on and popping. Like, you know. Wow. I had a. I had an OG give me a sawed-off shotgun that I kept, you know, under the bed with me. Yeah, on you. Well, it was in my trunk when I was 15. Uh, I was driving before I had a license. I had this Naturally. red Buick Skylark, you know, and um, I had it in the trunk. You know, I had a had a nine millimeter. It had
0: that thing you know, on you.
1: Yeah, so you know, it was on and popping from 13. Wow, and then, um. One of the things that happened that was kind of a wake up call for me was um I did I did get into a car accident when I was 16 driving drunk. It was after an ice storm which is a thing that happens in in, in <laughs> Illinois. Um everything freezes kind of like a sudden like cold snap, you yeah. know. And so the roads were slick and I was drunk and I I plowed my car into a telephone pole, man. Oh. And um was was going too fast wasn't wearing a seatbelt, all that. And, um, that was a bit of a wake up call. I felt like, you know, I dodged death. And then, um, shortly thereafter, within the span of a few, few days, few, maybe a week or maybe a little more than a week, um, was the first time I got shot at. And, uh, that was a traumatic event because, um, it made me question like, do I really want to die for this life? You know? And I was 16 man. what, what do I know? You know? Right, And, um, it made me question the brotherhood that I had trusted so, you know, uncritically. And, um, yeah, shortly after that, an old friend that I knew named Nathan Reinhardt. shout out to Nate. Um, he invited me to a Pentecostal church, man. I had never been to a Pentecostal church before. Like I said, my family was Baptist. Some of them was Nazarene real, you know, real vanilla type Christians. And, um, (laughs) This church was like hopping, you know, and very diverse too, by the way, right near campus, uh, a lot of international students, um, very diverse, you know, staff. So, um, invited me to this Pentecostal church for his baptism, man. He said, he said, I stopped smoking weed. I started reading the Bible. I'm going to be baptized. I thought of you, wanted you to be there. I was like, wow, what? (laughs) You know, um, I was touched, man. I was like, Wow. That's nice. You know, I I hadn't been in church in a in a long time. And um like I was very, very apprehensive about Pentecostal church in particular. So I told him I made a little deal with him. I told him I said, um, I'm gonna come late. I'm gonna sit in the back. I don't wanna talk to no church folk. Yeah. And uh I'll see you get dunked, but then I gotta leave and we can meet up and talk someplace else. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm not sticking around for, you know the meet and greet
0: <laughs> all, all, all the hoopla and the dancing and yeah. the
1: yeah yeah so um so i went that night and man i had a powerful encounter with the holy spirit man i mean that's that's how i can most um, succinctly summarize it but in particular the pastor had a real specific uh word of knowledge hmm. that hit me right between the eyes man it just hit me right in the chest and i felt like the lord was speaking to me personally and I'd never felt that before. And um, he said, if that's you, if I'm talking about you, come down here right now. <laughs> and um, I wish I had had the boldness to do that. But I kind of slunk around the side, tried to like tell my friend Nathan, like, I think, you know, I think he's talking about me. <laughs> and Nathan wasn't having it. Nathan was like, you got to go up there. So he pushed me up there. And um, man, I got baptized spontaneously on, on the, the spot. spot, on the spot, like. Oh, full full,
0: full immersion, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I got <laughs> baptized, man. He said, do you promise to deny the devil, the flesh, and the world? And in my head, I'm thinking, I don't know what two out of the three of those things are. <laughs> but sure, why not? And um, when I came up out of the water, man, I had this weird sensation. Hmm. felt like a weight lifted off my shoulders. Hmm. I felt like I was 10 pounds, 20 pounds lighter. And um, the first sensation that I had in, inside was I felt like, man, I want to go home and tell my mom what happened and give her a big hug. And that was so bizarre. It was like an alien crawled up inside me or something because I had so much deep seated resentment and anger and rage, uh, you know, towards my mom and and had felt so neglected. And so um, that she abandoned me all these, all these feelings, uh, you know, just kind of washed away in a sea of love. And so, Wow man I was like I was pretty, pretty quickly transformed in some ways, not in, not in every way. I certainly had some work to do. I was still a knucklehead, and a man in that church, a pastor in that church named Terry Austria, took me under his wing, Filipino man from Chicago he um He mentored me, discipled me, and when I sensed a call to ministry, he's the one that gave me my first opportunities to serve as a pastoral intern to preach, to lead Bible studies. Um, do evangelism on campus. You know, he, he really put me to work and gave me opportunities to fail and learn from those failures. And I, I to this day, I still, you know, credit him with so much of my journey and, and the foundation that he laid. In fact, um, you were, you were talking about deconstruction earlier. You know, when I think about the foundation that he laid, one of the things that he did that was so powerful in my life was he gave me room to question to doubt yeah. to explore to be yeah. curious to to get things wrong I man, I remember coming in his office and saying Pastor Terry I figured the trinity out <laughs> and he just let me talk man he was just like go for it what, tell me what you learned I said man the father is like the sun and the son is like the rays of the sun he was like okay that's arianism but you're but you're on the right track keep going keep going <laughs> You know, and then ultimately was, he's you know,
0: like, bruh, it's a mystery. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But but you know, but he let me explore and um he let me, you know, preach. And uh man, the first time he, he had me preach, he just gave me like 15 minutes notice. He was like, You're preaching tonight. Oh, I was wow. like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, no, that's not happening. And he was like, just tell what, what God's doing in your life, you know? How's God working in your life? Just talk about that. And I did. And people came up to me crying like, man, that's exactly what God's doing in my life, too. You know, I felt, wow. I felt, I felt like you were speaking my language, you know. Right. So I credit him with a lot. You know, he's like my spiritual uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know.
0: That's the way to do it, right? Just jump right in and yeah. trial by fire, man. Just yep. get up in there.
1: Yeah. He sent me to Bible college, too. Paid for my first semester in Bible college. Sent me to New Orleans. Wow, um, And uh, I went to a Pentecostal Bible college down there. Very formative time, very frustrating time. This is where the deconstruction comes in, you know, because mm. cause Terry's brand of Pentecostalism was ecumenical. You know, he was able to be conversant.
0: What does that mean for, for people who don't, who are listening and were like, what? Like, yeah, ecumenical, so, word of knowledge, What? what is
1: that? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, so in the Pentecostal tradition, there's a, you know, there's a, a real emphasis on the ministry of the Holy spirit and the gifts of the Holy spirit and the fruit right. of the Holy spirit. And, um, evidence so, of, of, yeah, of and, being yeah, indwelled and evidence, by the
0: spirit produces evidence, right?
1: That's right.
0: Yeah. That's right. Dude, I'm so, by the way, bro, I'm so disconnected. I haven't really been to church. I, I do. I, I have started coming back to, uh, Ryan, which I think you're friends with on, on, on Instagram, Ryan Pryor mission Hills church. Yeah. So I've been popping in over there, but, so, yeah, man, I'm I'm coming back. I'm like making a comeback. But all these terms, you know, I just haven't heard them for a minute and even even <laughs> when you said some of them, I'm like, "Wait a minute. Uh, I got What does that mean again?" Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But I have a I have a pretty diverse group of people that listen, man. Um, yeah, I so. can break it down for yeah. sure.
1: So, so in the Pentecostal tradition, there's an emphasis on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, particularly the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and Paul lists some gifts in various passages of his letters. One of them being like 1 Corinthians, and there's a a large emphasis on Acts and 1 Corinthians in the Pentecostal tradition um, because of the emphasis on the Holy Spirit in in those books. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those gifts that Paul lists is the word of knowledge. Now, I'm not exactly sure what Paul meant in his day when he said word of knowledge, but I know what Pentecostals mean when they talk about words words of knowledge. And that's when um, a person is given a sense of... from the Holy spirit of something that is true about another person that they feel compelled to share, to speak out that truth. Um, but it's not knowledge that that person has given them. So it's knowledge from God. Right. And, uh, that night, you know, the pastor said some things that were true about me, true that it, that happened to me, true that I was, that I was feeling and thinking inside that 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 I hadn't told anyone
0: that. Yeah, exactly. That there's no way he could know. Exactly. There's just no way.
1: Yeah and so it felt like it was from god you know right. it felt like god was was saying i see you mm. and i and i know what you're going through and i'm and i'm here for you wow so that's what i mean when i say word of knowledge when i when i say ecumenical i mean that the kind of pentecostalism that i was exposed to at first was was not um, antagonistic towards other christian traditions it saw itself as part of a larger body of christ that's diverse mm-hmm. you know you got your presbyterians you got your baptists You got your Roman Catholics, you got your Lutherans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Right. But when I went down south to New Orleans, there was this sense of like, we're the spirit-filled ones. And if you're not Pentecostal, like you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. So there's like a first class, second class kind of Christianity. Exactly. Like those guys, those guys
0: are (laughs) are off over there. They don't fully have it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I remember this dude said to me in Bible college, he said, those Baptists those Baptists, they teach the doctrines of devils. And I was like, what's the difference between a Baptist and a Pentecostal besides speaking in tongues? <laughs> yeah. It's like basically the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so so I had to deconstruct some of that um, antagonism and honestly, some of the Pentecostal theology itself. Right. I remember being in, being in classes in Bible college and being like, um, hold up, so your doctrine says that every single – follower of Jesus has to speak in tongues as the evidence that they have the Holy spirit. Why couldn't it be a different gift? Why couldn't Mm. it be the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing or any other gift? Right. Right. Why couldn't that be the evidence that they have the Holy spirit? And they were like, Nope. Acts specifically says everybody has to speak in tongues. Right. And you know, as I'm reading acts and I'm studying it as a student, I'm going, I'm not seeing it. I don't see this absolute rule, you know, it just felt like eisegesis and mm-hmm. eisegesis is a term that means like your, your perception being imposed upon the text rather than being drawn from the text,
0: which right? is exegesis,
1: correct? Exegesis. Correct. Yeah. Exegesis is to draw out, Out. but eisegesis is to, is to impose upon. And I was like, this feels like eisegesis to me, man. <laughs> and uh, my professors did not appreciate that opinion <laughs> 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 to say the least. Um, but I had to do some deconstruction, man. Um, but uh, isn't that the
0: isn't that the sign of a good professor though? Is to encourage that?
1: I would say so. I mean, yes. yeah. I mean, that's yeah.
0: what I would think. Yeah. I mean, I'm, what do I know? I'm a high school dropout, but <laughs> I've read some books. <laughs> no, man. No,
1: you're a very learned man, and you're a very well read man. I appreciate your thoughts on on theology and the Christian faith and all of that. I I think you're right. I think that a good professor will encourage you to explore. And to ask questions and to form your own opinions from, you know, rather than just blindly sort of ascribe to the tradition's this theology. Is what, right. Yeah. Right. That's why I was upset with the school on a lot of occasions because I felt like you're not teaching me how to do theology. You're just teaching me Pentecostal doctrine. Mm. And there's a difference. Right. Like you're not giving me the tool belt. You're just giving me the furniture and saying mm. here's the furniture we already built it for you good luck with that and i'm saying i want to build my own furniture
0: right cuz theology cuz good theology is something you do
1: yes right it's lived it's yeah. lived right yeah now i did have one i did have i did have some a few good professors i got to i got to give a shout out to you know some good professors um kevin brown was the the lone Presbyterian professor at my all Pentecostal Bible college. He was mm. like adjunct, you know, and so he taught a few classes, but, um, you know, but I, I used to grill him cause I would be like, what are you doing here? You're, pre- you're, you're Presbyterian, you know, you're not <laughs> supposed to have the Holy Spirit, you know? Um, but here's the thing about him though. He was the only professor that lived in the city.
0: Mm.
1: He lived and served in an under-resourced neighborhood after the model of Christian community development. Uh, after John Perkins model. John Perkins. Yeah. And all my other professors lived in the suburbs and they would just sort of, you know, commute into the city to do urban ministry and then bisounce, right? Right. Like you do your thing and then you get out. No, nah, that and whole John uh,
0: Perkins model is you're you're in it. You're there. Exactly. Boots on the ground. Yeah. Hands in the in the dirt.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So that drew me to Kevin Brown, man. And and I said, Man, I want to learn from you. And when I saw the ministry that he was doing in Hollygrove, it was called Trinity Christian Community. Wait, Hollygrove,
0: like like from the Little Wayne songs?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, Kevin Brown is the realist, man. Kevin Brown is a white dude, but he grew up in Hollygrove because his dad was like an urban missionary to that neighborhood. And so that's where he grew up. And uh, his wow. dad, Bill Brown, passed away a few years ago, but he was really good friends with uh, John Perkins. And so when I visited Hollygrove, you know, to see the ministry that Kevin Brown was doing, I was impressed, man. It was mm. it was in, integrated into the neighborhood. It was doing after school program, summer day camp, in school literacy tutoring, you know, wrap around services for families. Right. Um, and they were just they were just living there and serving their neighbors. It wasn't like oh, we come once a week and we drop things off and we go back to our you know crib in the in the suburbs right no he lived in the neighborhood right uh that was his neighborhood he grew up there, so so he hired me out of bible college, I moved into hollygrove, that's where me and oshida uh started, you know um in hollygrove, yeah, in hollygrove, man, and um
0: oshida's uh, your wife by the way, who yes, bro, okay, let me just say this about Oshida. how <laughs> prouder of you are uh, of oshida because
1: She's a rock star. Bro, man.
0: she's a rock star, right? Like, yeah. she, her name is mentioned amongst the names that are just, like, crushed. There's just this wave of women that yep. are just crushing it.
1: Bro, I'm bursting with pride about Oshita, man. She has, she has come in the game, like, kicking down doors, man. I love it. Um, you know, we met in New Orleans. We met uh, visiting that Bible college. She was on a short term missions trip, kind of like doing an urban plunge. And I was checking out the school to see if I wanted to be a student there. Yeah. And it was, it was sort of like love at first sight, man. I mean, oh, we just, wow. We did like urban ministry together. We did sidewalk Sunday school in one of the housing projects there called the Mary Poppins. <laughs> and um, I saw the way that she was like caring for these young, young people, you know, and I was like, wow, ministry partner. <laughs> 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 but I was obviously, uh, I, you know, obviously I was like, You know, I want to get to know this girl. And so we exchanged uh, emails at first. Um, We kissed dating goodbye. So we were, you know, not, we were not dating. We were, you know, considering courtship (laughs) (laughs) back in those days in in our circles. Um, But yeah, man, you know, we did the long distance thing. She went back to Texas. I went back to Illinois. We did the long distance thing. And then when I moved to New Orleans, she moved to New Orleans. Um, When I graduated, we got married like i said we moved into Holly Grove together and that's where we started our we started our marriage in urban ministry just mm, dove in right in it and um had our first son our first son was born in new orleans and um and then we were planning to be there for life i mean we were just love new orleans just sold out
0: by and the way by Katrina, the way by the by the way i'm sorry man. about about your uh saints oh. bro
1: Dude, I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey.
0: Oh. I didn't want to see the Saints in, in the playoffs. So oh. I I was a little relieved. <laughs> man.
1: See, I don't we don't have that many more years with Drew Brees. Yeah,
0: man. man. Drew I'm Brees like, is a is whew. is is amazing.
1: Yeah, the clock is ticking, man. We gotta get some more some more championships under our belt.
0: Yeah, I think you might have yeah, maybe a one to two year window and that's it, bro.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Next year's gotta be it. It's gotta be it. But um But Katrina had different plans for us, man. Yeah. We were there and we were – Oshita was pregnant with our second son. And um, we had evacuated the year before Katrina for a hurricane called Ivan. And it basically missed New Orleans. It didn't cause much damage. So we were kind of a little gun shy when Katrina came around. We were kind of like maybe we should just, you know, sit it out, like weather the storm. But then I thought about, you know, she's eight months pregnant. You know, we should probably get out the city. So we evacuated New Orleans the day before Katrina hit. Wow. Um, headed for Texas where my wife's from. My wife's from near Galveston. Okay. And um man, this part this part of the story is kind of funny, actually. Um, so there was a couple in our church that were um names uh Jason and Jennifer Brunei, real Cajun name Brunei. Brunei. And uh they were not planning to evacuate, but we begged them to come with us. And uh, we had a little cat in a carrier. We had uh, our oldest, our our, our firstborn uh, son who was like three at the time. And um, and then, you know, we went to go pick them up the day we were evacuating. And Jason comes with a little carrier of his own. I'm like, <laughs> what's this? And he, I did not know this, but he had a pet rat. <laughs> what he called a fancy rat. A fancy and, rat. Uh, yeah, fancy rat. And so I like to say that I evacuated New Orleans with um, an eight-month pregnant wife, a toddler, a cat, a rat, and a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That sounds like a bad joke, but it's true. And um, we got out of there. It took us 20 hours to get to Galveston. Wow. It usually took us like seven. Jeez. So traffic was horrible. But, so when you uh, left,
0: did you like, like pack everything up or just like whatever you could grab. That's
1: the thing. That's the thing. Like we didn't expect to be gone, gone. We just expected to like, Uh, you know, the storm blows through, you come back. Yeah. So we just took like, you know, a weekend's worth of clothes and I took my computer and we took like, you know, birth certificates and stuff. Right. Right. But we were hoping, we was hoping to be like three days. And then I'm watching, I'm watching CNN or something, some cable news channel and Mayor Nagin comes on the TV, and he's like, "We will begin to allow residents back into the city in weeks, possibly months." Wow. And I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, weeks, possibly months?" Wow. Who who can That's do right. that?
0: Ray Nagin, right? Was that was his first name?
1: Uh, I what? think so. Yeah, was it Ray? I, I, it might have been. It might have been. Yeah. Um. So many of those mayors came and go, came and went, man. Because New Orleans had a real, real hard, difficult, um, problem with corruption, yeah. you know, several judges went to prison. Congressmen went to prison because of Katrina mayors, because of what,
0: because of Katrina. Right. Or because of well, the, the, well, the... I think
1: it was long before that. But oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that probably exacerbated some of the corruption for sure. Right. But, uh, yeah, man. So suddenly we realized we wasn't going back. Mm. We're like, Whoa, we got to figure out where to live. Um, cause we can't just, wait around in Texas for weeks, possibly months. We, we didn't have it like that. You know, I was, I was, um, poor urban missionary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a friend of mine that I went to Bible college with, he had, he had moved up to Boston to go to Gordon Conwell for seminary. And he called me and said, I could, you know, we could stay with them till we got on our feet. And he encouraged me to check out Gordon Conwell, Mm. which turns out I loved, you know, and, um, graduated from Gordon Conwell. We moved up to Boston and uh, graduated from Gordon-Conwell, um, did a lot of ministry up there, beautiful friendships and wonderful relationships that we deeply cherish up there. So good times in, in Boston. In Boston. Man. But, but going back to Oshida, man, woo! Oshida, <laughs> Oshida went on a journey on, on her, of her own, of what it means to be a peacemaker Right. Um, when we were living in New Orleans. And... Um, and in that whole season of transition up to Boston and mm-hmm. that out of that f- flowed her first book,
0: Shalom, um, Sisters. Shalom
1: Sisters. Yeah. And, um, and that book kind of put her on the map in a lot of, in a lot of ways, especially among like Anabaptist Mennonites, which is a tradition that values peacemaking and right. has a historic roots in, in, uh, in passivism and right. nonviolence.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. So now she's on staff at Woodland Hills, Greg Boyd's church. I was just um, going to mention
0: Greg Boyd because um, yeah. I Greg, like it just like I said in the beginning like just reading certain guys you know um, Greg Boyd N. C. Wright um, yep. uh, what's the dude from uh, Missouri Kansas City or oh, St. Joseph's Brian Zahn. Brian Zahn yeah um, and all these guys write about this stuff and you know that's how we kind of all get connected but yeah and 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 what's happening right now like i mentioned earlier is like you, these women that are just killing it like the gen hat, hat makers the sarah besties mm. the oshita Moors, like <laughs> all these you know what i mean all these women are yeah. just are, are are just like i said earlier just putting us to, to task a lot or a lot of guy or just yeah. just in general just calling out a lot of stuff that
1: yep should have been talked about for years. You know who I consider like the patron saint of deconstruction is Rachel Held Evans.
0: Yes. Yes. That's who I had in my
1: my head and I just couldn't. She really gave voice to a lot of us, you know, Mm. she really, she put her journey um, of rethinking and relearning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. She put a lot of that out in public. She talked about it. She wrote about it. She was open about her questions, and she, a lot of us lived yeah. vicariously through her. Yeah, you know.
0: But one of her most famous books and, and what she did was the um, I I don't i the the title eludes me, but she oh the a year of biblical womanhood.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's what that was like a big one.
0: that was a big one where she literally mm-hmm. went and stayed outside. Yeah. While she yep. was on her cycle. Because yeah. that's what the scripture says, right? You gotta, right, you gotta right. put your wife out. She was, she was
1: <laughs> exposing a type of biblicism um, that is toxic, mm. and that, and that needs to be deconstructed. When I mean, when I say biblicism, I mean a sort of literalism applied to the Bible that that seems very pious, mm. but actually ends up being a form of control, right? Where only certain people get to decide what's biblical. "Quote unquote," right? right, right, and um and control others with that with that word, right? And so she felt like biblical womanhood was this catch all to just control women, and um, she was saying, "Well, if we really lived quote unquote biblically, we would follow all these laws," right? Right, and uh, it's just it's just impractical and impossible. Yeah, Exactly, it. it was the point of of
0: showing that this is just yeah. ridiculous. Right. making your own clothes and not mixing fabrics and yeah. having a sign out at yeah. the city gate praising your husband. Is awesome. Dan is awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so good. That's so classic.
1: Yeah. I appreciate her first book too, um, evolving in monkey town. I think they renamed it something else searching for Sunday or something like that. Oh, okay. Or maybe that was a later book, but her first book was about some of the questions that she started having in college as a college student, you know, Growing Mm. up in her hometown where the Scopes Monkey Trial took place, you know, so there was a strong creationism versus evolution in the air. Yeah. And she was asking, why can't Christianity be conversant with science? You know, what's wrong with that? And um, that kind of was one of the beginning starting places for her and her journey. But yeah, like you're right, man. Greg Boyd. Brian Zahn, NT Wright, Rachel Hill Evans, they've been very influential in my journey as well. Right. For sure.
0: Yeah. That, that's um part of my whole thing. I guess we'll kind of segue into this. Um you you you're teaching a series at your your church right now yep. on deconstruction. That's right. And I feel like it's it's a popular topic. Like it's popular. It like, oh, you know, it's almost like becoming this elitist thing at least from 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 where i can see it yep um it's almost like it's cool like oh i'm an enneagram eight what are you or, you know what i mean or what's your enneagram <laughs> number or, like bro like for a lot of us it took us years to get to the point where we you know started to really deal with a lot of these questions mm-hmm. and it's not something that you just do overnight i feel like for me my journey. Was when I started to read the text differently, um, mm-hmm. like you said earlier about not reading into the text and, and reading out of the text. And you know, when I got exposed to certain people, Larry being the main one, Larry was the yeah. first person that I, I, my dad was speaking at a conference in San Francisco, and Larry was there, and it was all these old pastors and stuff. You know, nothing, nothing wrong with that. It's just you know, old school, just church. You know, your regular message you know that you've heard a million times but larry gets up and he tells this whole story of of god like like this the whole arc of scripture like this cosmic like it was just and it was like a long title dude it was like this crazy title and i was like sounds like
1: larry
0: i was like what the heck is this i've never heard this before like he didn't say amen one time in the in the whole thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, it wasn't like that at all, but it was something just really attracted me to it. And um, I got to get to know him and we became great friends. And then that's, that's just kind of where it, it all sort of started, you know, it was just like reading the text, understanding you have, you know, different worldviews and this text is interpreted this way. Some people interpret Mm. it this way. I'm like, what? I thought there's only one way. You know? Right. So right. um so my process took me about six, seven years to like of constant yeah. like just changing and evolving to yeah. where now people call me a heretic. <laughs> yeah. So but you know what, I'm okay with that because I know the journey that I've been on and that's my experience, you know. I, I Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's
1: a that's a huge part of it, man. I think I think I started to wake up to a lot of things that I didn't um agree with when I began to realize that everyone brings themselves to the text. Yeah. And I I remember this moment vividly. This is kind of a turning point in my journey. I was in a class in Bible college and it was a hermeneutics class. Hermeneutics is the the art or science of interpreting the Bible. Right. And I remember the professor, um, Dr., Dr. Richard Miller, talking about presuppositions. Presuppositions are what you assume beforehand, before you even read the text. Right. right. And he said, everybody has presuppositions. And I raised my hand. And I said, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of those students. Yeah, you know, yeah, those kind yeah. of students. I had to argue with the professor. And so I, I raised my hand. I said, I don't have any presuppositions. I'm like a blank slate. Mm. I come to the text and I just let the text teach me. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the kind of student I was. Right. And Dr. Miller said, TC, of all the students in this class, you have the most opinions of anyone. And every single one of those opinions is one of your presuppositions when you come to the text. <laughs> and I Boom. was like, oh, dang. Wait a minute. like, He might have a point. <laughs> <laughs> so Uh-oh. I started realizing that, you know, everyone has a social location, a, a place from which they're reading the text. You know, if you live in a society where you are in the highest caste of the society or the lowest caste of the society, that's going to affect your interpretation. Right. If you're in a society where you're considered more privileged or less privileged, that's going to factor into your interpretation. Right. Um. Men, women, the, you know, our our gender identities are going to factor into our interpretation. Everything about us is going to factor into our experiences, our beliefs, our strongly held beliefs. They're our, all going to factor into our interpretation. Our,
0: our, our trauma that we've yeah. been through.
1: Yeah. Right. This is why when I was Pentecostal, you know, I'd read the same passage 10 times and come away with 10 different applications, you know. Mm-hmm. It's because, depending on how where I was at at the time, what I was thinking, what I was feeling, who knows what you know. I felt like God was saying to me through that text. Yeah, but um, so
0: how how do you approach like like you're you're doing a series now on deconstruction? Yes. So like, how do you how does that conversation start?
1: Good question. So so what I said in the beginning is that I believe deconstruction isn't necessarily rejection of the faith. I think deconstruction can be a precursor to rejuvenating one's faith, mm, to making one's faith more point. robust, more, um, more winsome, more attractive, um, even more meaningful to a person. Right. So the analogy that I use is like those like house flipper shows, you
0: know? right? Um, because everybody um, assumes that deconstruction means you have to abandon. Well, a lot of people do. Yeah. Like yeah, oh, it's, oh it's so you don't believe word. you don't believe that the earth was created in six right. days,
1: right? Or, yeah, it can trigger people. Right. I've, I've I've seen people get upset when you talk about deconstructual. Well, you know, you're just walking away from the faith. Well, I'm not endorsing anybody walking away from the faith. I'm endorsing people examining their faith. You know, mm. Saint Anselm had a famous motto. His motto was "faith seeking understanding." Mm. And what I've said in the series is that faith seeking understanding doesn't mean we have faith until we gain understanding. Understanding doesn't replace faith. Faith is this thing that Anselm saw as love for God. And mm. when you love God, you want to know more about God. You want to gain more understanding about God. But then when you gain more understanding about God, that doesn't make you love God less. It makes you love God more. Mm. So we should always have a posture of faith-seeking understanding. Like, we, like we're never going to arrive. Right. we're never going to reach the end and say oh I, I've got everything figured
0: out dude, I'm so, so comfortable with not being able to figure everything out you know yeah I read yeah. uh I read the sin of certainty Pete Pete ends yes dude that good, was yes. so helpful for me Exactly. especially what I was going through like I don't have to know all of this I don't have to be certain you know and 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 he yeah. just the book is just I love how he just highlights all of the struggles in the in the text and the doubt and the you know like why like why is this yeah. why is this happening especially in the Psalms and Yep it's okay. That's what faith is. It's yeah. trust, you know? It's like okay, all right, I'll I'll be all right. You know I I I'm gonna even trust Jesus, man. Yeah.
1: Even Jesus. Somebody said somebody said the other day, somebody on Facebook was like, you know, even Jesus doubted. And somebody was like, no he didn't. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> All right, maybe you can't point to a text where Jesus literally says, I doubt, right? Right. But I, I asked this person, I said, I've never wrestled with God's will for my life so much that I sweat blood. Sweat blood and Have tears. you? Right. <laughs> right. Have right. you? Like,
0: right. when
1: you've done that, then you could tell me, you know, Jesus didn't doubt. Because right. I never sweat blood. But <laughs> you know,
0: I, I don't think I've ever sweat when I prayed, ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I have. I'm, I'm a Pentecostal, man. We've
0: sweated. So, yeah, you had to, like, the first hour was just, like, to to wake God up, like, get him warmed up, right? He yeah, started speaking yeah, in the yeah. second and third hour. Yeah. Well, you
1: got you to gotta pace and shout, man. You got to
0: pace the floor, dude. Yeah. My dad used to take me to church with him. He used to go pray at the church, like, early in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, I was a little kid. And I just remember him doing that, man, just pacing back and forth. Yeah. It felt, felt like forever. Yeah. And until I— so. I
1: so let me go back to the analogy, of the, the, the house flipper analogy.
0: So yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: A lot of these shows, you know, an example might be like Good Bones. Good Bones is about mother-daughter team in Indianapolis um, called Two Chicks and a Hammer. Mm-hmm. And they flip houses in Indianapolis. And in one episode, you, you take a house that has been basically condemned by the city. Mm-hmm. And you buy it for dirt cheap. And then you strip it down to just studs. You know, it's like we need to find out how the how the wiring is what what condition is the wiring in right. what condition is the plumbing in what condition is the foundation in right mm. and then when you see all that you can see where to fix it and start to rebuild right so that's what that's the analogy i've been using in this series is that we're we're doing deconstruction not to tear the faith down but so that we can see where the cracks are in the foundation where the wirings messed up where the plumbing's messed up so we can fix it and build a beautiful home mm. to live in.
0: Beautiful analogy.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, we want to live in this home called faith. Right. But we got to examine this foundation, man. So what do you so think,
0: this- TC, uh, what do you think some of those major flaws in, in the foundation are? Yes. Specifically so, to, to the American version yes. of Christianity.
1: So this past week, I talked about three of them. Now, there's a lot more than three. Oh, yeah. But I think for me, the big three are number one fear, fear based faith, hmm. and this this can manifest in a lot of different ways. Oh, dude! But I've,
0: yeah, dude! Right away, as soon as you said that, like, yeah. love wins came to my head.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, Hell. absolutely. So, fear based faith can can manifest in so many different ways. But some of the ways I've seen it manifest is in the culture wars. Uh. You know. People that, are, you know, create a boogeyman, like those people over there, they're heathens or they're ungodly or they're a threat, right? Right. And I said in my message, I said, you know, there's a word for that. It's demagoguery. Mm. That's what it is. If you, if you have to create a them, an other, to, to build group cohesion and unity, then you're a demagogue. Right. We don't need fear to follow Jesus. That's not, we don't need an other. We don't need an evil other. Um, so that's one way. Another way is, is legalism, right. you know, just building a system of rules. You know, I told the story on Sunday that I led, I led a young woman to um, to Christ, like I led her, to, you know, to, to faith in Christ. And I said, go find a good church. But I didn't really give her much guidance on what kind of church to look for. So yeah. she came back or I, I checked in with her and she said, this church is controlling my whole life. She said, they've assigned me a discipler. And this disciple says that I can't date anyone that doesn't go to this particular church. (laughs) And I got to read my Bible and pray an hour a day or I'm going to go to hell. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, like I felt bad for not not leading her to a a healthy church. And now she's think she thinks all of this stuff is Christianity. And I'm like, that's not Christianity. That's that's some kind of weird cult, you know, Yeah. like that's not the Jesus way. So um so fear based faith can show up in a lot of ways. Another way that fear based faith shows up in is just in our self doubt. You know, everybody's got some self doubt. Am I good enough? Am I am I worthy enough? Um am I strong enough, right? And if you if you are taught that that voice is the holy spirit, then you've always got god like looking over your shoulder telling you you're 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 bad, right? Mm. And creates this like anxiety, you know, perpetual anxiety. That's not the Jesus way either. Right. So fear-based faith is something I think needs to be deconstructed and, and it manifests in a lot of different ways. Wow. The second thing that I brought up on Sunday was cultural, uh, cultural assimilation.
0: Assimilation.
1: Assimilation. Yeah. So uh, one of my heroes of the faith is Richard twist. I don't know if you ever heard of Richard twist, but
0: he was uh, a a native American, right? Uh,
1: Yes. Lakota Sioux, Native theologian, um, he passed away a few years ago. Um, but before he passed, you know, I got to meet him and spend some time with him. He wrote several books before he passed. Phenomenal thinker, amazing mm. thinker. One of his one of his best books, or one of his books that I like the most, is uh, "One Church, Many Tribes." Mm. Fantastic book. In that book, he tells a story of how, when he came to faith, uh, he was wrestling with how how does my native identity. Um, integrate with my Christian faith. So he asked this pastor, and this pastor happened to be white, and he, he said, you know, what do I do? And this pastor said, don't worry about being Indian, Richard, just be like us.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: And so he modeled his faith after this non-native pastor, Wow. Um, and he came to discover that he was not being all that God wanted him to be. He was not being true to his identity. And so the whole book is about, you know, recapturing that. His identity in Christ and his identity as a Native American, right?
0: Wow. Yeah. And so
1: I think a lot of what needs to be deconstructed in the American church is white Western cultural packaging that has been taught as normative Christianity, right? right. Another, another one that I think of is, is, um, Sung Ra. He was one of my professors at seminary. He wrote a book called The Next Evangelicalism. And, uh, he talks about the, the Western cultural captivity of the church. Right. That the Western culture is like Babylon and it's captured our imaginations for what Christianity should be and could be. Right. Yeah. And it's told us Christianity is individualistic. Right. Christianity has a racial hierarchy. Right. Christianity is, you know, materialistic and consumeristic. And we can't think outside that box. You know, we just think that's normal Christianity. Yeah. But it's not. It's not the Jesus way. Right. So. So theologians like that have have helped me peel back the layers of cultural assimilation uh, and syncretism that's gone on in in the Western world with Mm. Christianity, right? So I think that's a huge one. And then the last one, this one's kind of like on the other side a little bit. I said relativism, Mm. you know, because on the progressive side, I think what needs to be deconstructed is this idea that, well, Jesus said some good things. He's a good teacher. I like some of the things he said. Uh, but I also like Rumi, you know, and I like these other gurus, yeah. so why can't I just have like board <laughs> yeah of uh of spiritual teachers, and that's my faith, right, and I think that that is just as much part of the air we breathe the cultural um moment that we're in as the white western cult- cultural captivity, so you know that's post modernity capturing our imaginations right mm. that's the deconstruction <laughs> that's the deconstruction of modernity becoming the new normal right um and, that,
0: and that's where i kind of feel like it's popular now yes you know to incorporate popular. well you know what i'm reading richard Rohr, and he's kind of like that one guy who some people think he's just a kook or he's onto something yeah you know yeah so i don't know i have
1: I, mixed feelings about Rohr. you know for, yeah. for the very same reason that you just said yeah. You know, I think that some people read Roar and they come away with an idea that, oh, Jesus is just one path to God, one way to God among many. And I can have my Jesus, Jesus-y faith, and I can have this other stuff. Um, and I don't really need, I don't need to be exclusive <laughs> with Jesus, yeah. right?
0: And it's kind of, isn't it so weird too that he's a, he's a. He's a, of the Catholic tradition,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Catholic tradition is very broad. I think, yeah, has a lot of different streams within it as well. Right. You Got At, your Jesuits. You got your Dominican. Right. You know. And a he's lot, a, a Franciscan. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but yeah, I think I think relativism is something that needs to be deconstructed. I think, and this is what I this is what I ended with. And, and I'll put it I'll put it like this: the foundation we want to have is the Jesus way. And I think that for me, the the bedrock of the Jesus way is what Scott McKnight calls the Jesus Creed, mm. right? Scott McKnight says the Jesus Creed is his signature rabbinical teaching that he added to the Shema. He he revised the Shema. Now, for for those right. who don't know what the Shema is, the Shema is um a prayer in in Judaism
0: Hero that Israel. A, a, right.
1: a, a devout person would say every morning and every evening, Um and it's you know it's the beginning of uh, Deuteronomy, I think it's three, Deuteronomy three, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, right? Mm-hmm. And then it goes on from there to talk about, you know, write this on your doorpost, talk about it when you're on the way, that whole thing. Well, Jesus quotes that part, but then he adds to it a passage from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. And he puts those together and says that those are the twofold greatest commandment, right? right? And I think that's the essential Following Jesus is loving God by following Jesus, by obeying Jesus, and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's Mm -hmm. a way of love. I think that's the essential Jesus way. We've built on top of that a lot of other stuff.
0: So much other stuff.
1: Yeah, so much other stuff. Um, But that's the essential Jesus way. And if you can, I guess, if you can um, deconstruct down to that foundation and rebuild on that foundation something beautiful, I think that you're in good shape.
0: Right. Right. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. and It's funny too, because when I was like in the middle of my deacon, like just like heavy, like I don't know if I even really believe this almost to the point, but Mm -hmm. I felt Jesus was like closer than ever. Yeah. It was weird. It's a weird thing. Like that's how I know that it was real for me. You Mm -hmm. know, it was just my own struggle, my own journey. And then filling I had no desire, you know, to go to church at all, or even to be around like a lot of Christians, you know? Yep. But the farther I, I was away from all of that, I still felt like incredibly close. Yeah. It, it, it's weird.
1: That's the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus in the sermon on the Mount says, he says that the kingdom of God doesn't belong to those who have all the, th- all the trappings of this world. All the power, all the success, all the money. He says the kingdom of God, God is close to those who are meek, mm. those who are heartbroken, those who are, you know, trying to make peace. Right. right. And I think you were in a humble state. You were in a place where you're, you're, um, you're vulnerable yeah. and God, God meets us in that vulnerable place. Um, mm. God exalts the humble and, and, and opposes the proud. Right. And you were just saying, look, I don't know. I don't know anymore. That's, that's a vulnerable place to be in, right. especially if you've, so much of your life has been built on the Christian faith, right? Right. If you've been involved in church, a PK, you know, like that's a vulnerable state to be in.
0: Right. Man, that's already, we're already at, at an hour, bro. Like I, I, there was a whole <laughs> other thing I wanted to talk about. We'll have to do that on a on another one. Part um, two. Part two. Well, you're the first like legit, I think, theologian <laughs> that I've had on here. So this is just, I, here's, that's a lot of things. Like, I love to talk theology. I love it. And I miss that. Like, I miss hanging out, like, you know, like Larry's house. We're smoking cigars, having some, yeah. just talking the Bible. And it was like three, four hours would just go by. And mm-hmm. it just like, you just can't get enough of it. So that's one thing that I still love. Like, that's why I'm still, like, I'm reading three books right now. And I just feel like it's kind of getting re, rekindled that passion and so i'm excited man so i i reached out to you and i'm like man let's 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 get you on here so thank you so much man for coming on my pleasure We definitely have to do it and you know what i even cut off your story too of of you when you transitioned from boston to los angeles and your time here and then where you're at now in minnesota you were snowed in in. you're (laughs) you're you're snowed in today We have We're no clue. To get like
1: a foot of snow, we only got like six inches. So that's that's nothing for Minnesota. And Minnesotans are like six inches. That's nothing,
0: dude. It rained yesterday, and on the news it was like, now covering Storm Watch 2020. <laughs> like, bro. It it rained like that. half an inch. <laughs> I remember that. I remember
1: being in L.A. and people forget how to drive when it rains, man. It's like it's just water. People, water. come on. Yeah, chill. <laughs> oh man, it's, yeah. L.A. was a trip. Sometime we gotta. Sometime we gotta talk again so I can tell you about my L.A. experience. Um,
0: yeah, you didn't like it, right? I mean, it wasn't. I had
1: a rough time out there, man. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. It was. It was not ideal. Yeah and uh i mean definitely some relationships that i formed out there i cherish deeply but in terms of like my um my fit in the city yeah it just didn't it didn't fit for me
0: man. Right, right it's not cut out i mean it's like yeah. yeah it's a weird place man it's a it's a weird vibe here to be honest there's a lot of just fake stuff yeah. that whole hollywood thing so overrated
1: yeah and and man the cost of living is prohibitive and <sighs> tell me about the distance it. to get to your friends man just to see your friends is like is prohibitive and yeah. uh yeah traffic but it was, it was a lot of challenges to live in in la um but i but i some of the work i did there i'm really proud of yeah. um you know and some of the like i said the relationships i deeply cherish
0: right all right, TC. Well, thank you again, man. Um do you have any plugs or any uh anything you want to shout out? Any where where can we find you online? The church, yeah. the podcast or the
1: Yeah. I'll shout out my church, you know. Our church is called Roots Covenant Church.
0: Roots Covenant.
1: Um we like to consider ourselves a community of misfits on a mission finding mm. identity in Jesus.
0: Nice. I love and, that.
1: And uh we're at rootscove.org. Um COV. Or you can check me out at tcmore, m o o r e dot net. That's my main blog. Nice.
0: And and pick up Shalom Sisters on Amazon. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I ran into I ran into Rob Bell one time on Fairfax Avenue in L. A. Really? He was walking the yeah he was walking the opposite direction to me, and I said. Hey man, my my wife just wrote a book called Shalom Sister. I was trying to get her in the back house on the po- on the oh, robcast. Podcast. Right? Yeah, the robcast. I said my my wife just wrote a book called Shalom Sister. He said that's great. I'm a Shalom Mister.
0: <laughs> that's so Rob Bell. <laughs> on <laughs> that's what the he spot. Said, man. Shalom he Mister.
1: He just kept walking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man. Where are you at, Rob? We got to get we got to get Oshida on. <laughs> yeah. She on should have Rob been cast. in the back
1: house, man. She should have been on the po- the robcast a
0: long time ago. Yeah all right brother all right great catching Thanks. up man we'll do this again soon let's do it all right brother
1: all right still, the iliad is dead the odyssey is over found god within me started searching for jehovah what you searching for where you focus at if it's happiness no one can give you that it
0: flows from within it knows all your sins you can never win being envious of other men
1: covetousness It's such a sin, wanting what other people have has become a trend. But don't bow down to the dollar bill, y'all. Commercial consumerism
0: is trying to kill y'all. I'm trying to heal y'all.